Some years ago, I heard a guy preach um, Hebrews 11. Uh, I don't remember when it was. I don't remember where I was. I don't remember who he was. But he said something that I never have forgotten. Um, as I've reminded you many, many times, Hebrews, Hebrews 11 is God's definition. It's not a denominational definition. It's not some man's definition. It's not the Pope's definition. It's not some preacher's definition. It's God's definition of what biblical faith really is. And so, religious guys like me and others can't dumb it down uh, to basically mean mental assent with a little church attendance thrown in. So we can't dumb it down to that degree. The Lord gives us about 20 plus real life, flesh and blood illustrations of what biblical faith really looks like. In Hebrews 11, God talks about men and women like Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, Gideon, and David. All these men and women had at least one thing in common. They did their faith. It was not academic for them. It wasn't something that, yeah, they just went to church on Sunday. They had a doing faith, which actually is God's definition of saving faith. A doing faith. As we learned last year in James Chapter 2, faith without works is what? It's, God says it's useless. It's, way, it, it's dead. It does nothing. It is useless. So if we read our Bibles, if we study Hebrews 11, we, we learn one indisputable biblical fact about biblical faith. It's uh, what that preacher said several years ago that I've never forgotten. He said, real faith isn't easy. I bet I could get some testimonies to those of you out there who are really radically living their faith in Christ. He says, real faith isn't easy. And then he says, it's not supposed to be. Did you think you had signed on for a run through the park with a bouquet of balloons? I know I say this to you all the time, right? That's a quote from, from John MacArthur. Jesus has not called us to a run through the park on a spring day at our leisure with a bouquet of balloons. Uh, actually, if you really go with Jesus, if you really do what He says, going with Christ will be the most consuming, all-consuming endeavor of your life. Amen? If you're really going with Jesus, if you're really walking with Him, it will be the most all-consuming endeavor of your life. Real faith is not easy. It is not supposed to be easy. And it must be a stench in the nostrils of God that all over churches, all over the world, uh, religious guys like me have dumbed it down to almost nothing. Mental assent to religious dogma or facts in the Bible. It must be a stench in the nostrils of the living God. Jesus says, Matthew 16, if anyone wishes to come after Me, let him deny himself, take up his instrument of death, and follow Me. For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it, but whoever loses his life for My sake, he shall find it. You know why you're 
your faith is not supposed to be easy, beloved? There's a very important reason. There are several important reasons. But there's one that I want to touch on tonight. God saves you through faith, right? God saves you through faith. Faith. Well, guess what? God means to save others as they observe your faith. You got that? You understand that, right? God means to draw other men and women to Himself as they see you radically going with Christ. And the harder your faith is, the more the value, beauty, and worth of Jesus will be on display. So when it's hard for you and you hold fast your confession, you hold fast to God, you hold fast to Christ, the unbeliever sees it. And they say, man, that Jesus must be something else. Look how they hold to Him. Look how they love Him. Look how they serve Him even in the face of persecution and suffering. Look! Look how real it is. It's not just religion. They really love Him. They really believe Him. The way you live your life is supposed to give testimony. The unbelievers are supposed to read Jesus off your life. Right? They're supposed to read Jesus off my life. The way you live, your risky obedience, your sacrificial love, your selfless service, your patient, joyful suffering, your radical giving, your persevering devotion to the person of Christ Jesus. Unbelievers are supposed to see that. And believers are supposed to see it too and be encouraged. Right? Immature believers are supposed to see it and be encouraged. Let me say it again. Unbelievers are supposed to read the glory, the beauty, the worth, the value of Christ off your life, beloved. Real faith is not easy. It is not supposed to be easy. And I know it is a stench in the nostrils of God for men to stand in pulpits and dumb it down and take the hard edges off and make it sound like a run through the park with a bouquet I know it must be a stench in the nostrils of God that men would do that. So when you live that not-so-easy, sacrificial, risky faith, everyone around you sees it. John Piper said it perfectly. I've shared this quote with you many times. Real faith loves God more than job. Amen? Amen. Some people, yes. Some people agree. Real faith loves God uh, more than money. Yes? Amen. Yes. Real faith loves God more than possessions, more than security, more than family, more than life. Amen? Real faith says whether God handles me tenderly or gives me over to torture, I love Him. He's my God. He's my reward. Beloved, men and women are martyred because the unbeliever sees the sweetness of Christ in the martyred person's life. Sometimes Christianity is very hard. We understand that. We know that there are more martyrs on an annual basis right now than there ever has been in the history of Christendom. Not going to happen to us, right? Living in Western Europe, but it's a worldwide reality. That's why faith isn't supposed to be easy. Your life is a canvas. God is painting on it. He is painting to live as Christ, to die as gain. And God expects you to live that reality 
in the church and outside the church. I've said it to you a million times. I'm just going to, I love this. Jesus is better than anything life can give, and Jesus is better than anything death can take. This is the biblical testimony. Real Christianity isn't easy. It isn't supposed to be easy. Paul, you remember what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 6, 4 and 5? In everything we commend ourselves as servants of God. In what? Running through the park with a bouquet of balloons? Is that how Paul said it? Paul says, in all endurance, in all affliction, in all hardship, in all distress, in, all, in, in, in beatings and in imprisonments, in tumults. I don't know what a tumult is, but it doesn't sound good. In labors and in sleeplessness and in hunger. You remember Paul went on in chapter uh, 12 of 2 Corinthians. He says, I am well contented in these things. I am well contented in, with weaknesses, insults, distresses, persecutions, difficulties. Why is he well contented? Why? Because he loves his religion? Why? He says, for Christ's sake. I am well contented in whatever the sovereignty of God sends my way, the providences of God sends my way. I am well contented because I am utterly satisfied in the beautiful person of Christ Jesus. Utterly satisfied in who He is and what He will be for me for a billion eternities. So how does a real life, real life flesh and blood man talk like that? How do you get up every day and live Philippians 1.21 to live as Christ, to die as gain? How do you fight through those very real feelings that we all have at times? Those real feelings of discouragement and doubt and distress, sometimes even despair, that those feelings that beset our fallen flesh. Well, I couldn't help but think of Christian and hopeful in the Pilgrim's Progress. You know, I've shared this with you before. You remember that the uh, giant of despair captured Pilgrim and Hopeful. You remember the story? What did the giant of despair do with, with uh, Christian and Hopeful? He threw him in the, the, uh, the dungeon of Doubting Castle. And the giant of despair would just come in and beat them regularly. They even considered suicide, which they knew would not please the Lord. But suddenly, Christian remembered, I've had the key to this stinking dungeon the whole time. It's right here in my bosom. Anybody remember what the name of the key was? He's been in this dungeon of despair in the castle of doubting. The key is called the promise of God. He's had it in his bosom the whole time. He's had it in his heart the whole time. It opens every lock in Doubting Castle. And they were freed. They were freed on the promise of God. Being a real Christian is not always easy. In fact, sometimes it's really, really hard. It's really, really hard. But we're never to, to be a prisoner to doubt and discouragement and despair. We have the key. The key is our God. And His promise to us. To over, how, how do we overcome, to use Paul's words, how do we overcome daily afflictions, hardships, distresses, tumults, labors, sleeplessness, weaknesses, insults, and persecution? How do we really do that? 
You remember what we talked about when we uh, went verse by verse through 1 John? Uh, 1 John chapter 5 says that the Christian is Nike. What does Nike mean? Nike. You probably know it as Nike. What does Nike mean? Pardon me? Victory. Exactly. That's why they use that name for athletic apparel. It means to, to overcome. Uh, to, be a, to, to, to be an overcomer. To have, to have victory. Actually, God says, His children, He says it in Romans chapter 8, He says, My kids are hypernikeo. you got to love it. He says, My children are hypernikeo. It actually means hyper-invincible, uh, unconquerable conquerors. That's who we are in Christ. That's who we are, beloved. Don't you dare give in to discouragement and hardships and distress and labors and tumults. We are invincible, unconquerable conquerors. And in our text tonight, Philippians chapter 4, 6 through, through 9, Paul, is, Paul basically says, This is how I do Nike. This is how I do Nike. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 9. This is how I do it. Remember, last week we talked about how, how, how real Christians can, can, uh, can radically obey Christ Jesus. Anyone remember? How do we do it? It's right there in the text. It was in the text three or four times last week. We do it how? In the Lord, right? We do it in the Lord. Not in our own strength. Not because our doctrine's beautiful. But because our God is God, right? Because our God is God, we can live... Radical faith in the world. We can be word-doing Christians. Hey, any other Christian does not please God. Word-doing Christians, James says. Be a doer of the Word, not a hearer who merely deludes himself. We understand from Scripture that only the word-doing Christians are really walking with the Lord. But Paul says we can be real Christians because the Lord is with us. That's where we left off last week. Remember verse 5, let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. Why? How can we, how can we live these radical lives of obedience? The Lord is near. Remember we talked about that just a little bit last week. The Lord is near. The unapproachable, consuming fire God has come near. Right? He has come near. To his people. The Lord is near. We talked a little bit about it last week. Our God is God, right? Amen? Anybody? Anybody believe? It? Our God is God. He's not, He's not a God. He is the God. He has no colleague, He has no peer. Just just briefly, just a reminder from last week, Isaiah chapters 40 to 46. God says, before me there was no God, besides me there is no God, and after me there will be no God. I am God, there is no other. I am God, there is no one like me. God says, I'm God, nobody else is God. That's how come the Christian can live a radical life of faith. That's why we can be radical word doers, because our God is God. He is the uncontainable, uncontrollable, unmanageable, untamable. God, I am as our Father, beloved. <laughs> how, many, how often do you meditate on this? Well, I know one thing's for sure. If you're really walking with Jesus, you're going to meditate on it a lot. Or you won't go with Jesus at all. <laughs> It'll be way too intimidating to go with Jesus. 
unless you think rightly about your God, unless you understand His Godness. I am is our Father, El Shaddai is our God, Jehovah Jireh is our Savior. Jehovah Jireh means I will see to it. He's the I will see to it God. Yes, I can radically step in, out in faith. Why? Because my faith is so great or I'm such a great Christian? No, because the I will see to it God will meet me in obedience. Beloved, don't live a small Christian life. Don't you dare live a small Christian life. <laughs> don't you dare. You're here to live a huge life of faith. One that brings honor and glory to the name, to the name of Jesus. God says, you know, this is awesome. He's not only near us. What does the text say? What does Romans chapter 8 say? He's not only near us. What? He's for us. Don't you dare live a small Christian life, beloved. You can live as huge as you dare. Claim the promises of God and live the promises of God. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. Oh, okay, how many of you had were how many of you were anxious this week? Okay, we've had we got a few honest people. Anxious? Okay. What, is, what does your God say? He says, well, it's okay to be anxious about the really important stuff. Is that what God says? God says, don't you dare be anxious about anything. Why? I'm God. No one can stay my hand. All my, all my good pleasure will be accomplished. I do whatever I please. In heaven and in earth. God can categorically say to us, be anxious for nothing. I am God. Be anxious for nothing. you got to love it. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Because the Lord is near, be anxious for nothing. Because the Lord is near, cry out to Him in Prayer. You may remember in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus condemns anxiety in the life of a Christian. Do I have to tell you how wrong it is for you to claim to be a Christian and then live in constant anxiety? Do I have to remind you of that, beloved? Have you read the Gospels? Have you read Matthew chapter 6? Jesus says five times in ten verses, He says He challenges us on anxiety. He says don't be anxious about what you're going to eat. Which of you can change anything by being anxious? Why are you anxious about your clothing? Why are you anxious about any of your needs? Don't be anxious for tomorrow. And you remember how Jesus summed up that discourse. He says, but what? But what did He say? Does anyone remember? Don't be anxious about anything. But seek ye first. What? You come after Me. God says, you come after Me. I'll take care of every single thing that remains. This is the promise of God. You come after me wholeheartedly. You come after me. Not in some lukewarm religious way. You really come after me. And I'll take care of everything else, is what he says. Remember how Jesus says it over in Luke chapter 12. Don't keep worrying. Your Father knows about this stuff. 
He knows what you need. And oh, He has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Beloved, rejoice always. I love some of the songs that, that Kelvin picked out. Rejoice. Your God is God. He has chosen gladly to give you everything that matters. Everything that matters. I want you to understand, beloved, if you don't hear me say anything else tonight, anxiety is a great insult to God. It is a great insult for His children to be wringing their hands over temporal matters when our God transcends every single one of those, those temporal matters. Effectively, to indulge anxiety is to call God a liar in one sense. It's basically saying, I don't believe anything you've said to me. I don't believe your promises. I don't believe you're God enough. I don't believe you love me enough. I don't believe Romans 8.28. I don't believe you can work all things for the good. I'm in a hard spot and I don't believe you can work this for good, God. I don't believe it. So I'm going to wring my hands about it instead of crying out to you and giving it up to you in prayer. Beloved, do I have to tell you how wrong it is for a Christian, a man or woman who calls themselves a Christian to in, engage in and indulge in anxiety. Beloved, your view of God is always on display. You know this, right? What you really believe about God, people are reading that off your life. Every single day, they read that off your life. What you really believe about Him. Man, you know, if, if, you're, if you're composed under pressure, they're reading that about God off your life. That your God is God. That He is trustworthy. God says, be anxious for nothing. I am God. I am the. I will see to it, God. I want to say to you, beloved, anxiety, it's, it's a result of bad theology. It's a small God theology. It has dispensed with the uh, absolute sovereignty of God. It doesn't believe He's God at all, actually. Anxiety is bad theology. It's non-biblical theology. It's blasphemous theology. MacArthur says, John MacArthur says, man, for a Christian to wring his hands, it's, 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 it it's, uh, belies this view of God that, well, God is hopeful and helpful, but He can't really help me. He's not big enough to change my circumstance. He's not big enough to satisfy me in my trial. Beloved, it's blasphemous. It's blasphemous. I told you last week that many people who call themselves Christians, but quite obviously they don't like what the Bible says. Many people call themselves Christians who obviously don't really believe God, the God of the Bible. They've made up some cartoon image of God. And they live according to this made up, uh, dreamt up cartoon image Beloved, our God is sovereign. He's the sovereign governor of all things, as John Piper says, from the falling of a sparrow to the roll of the dice. Anxiety reveals a small God in your mind and a small God in your heart. God says, be anxious for nothing. I am God. I am near. He says, how does He say draw near? How are we supposed to draw near? He's drawn near to us. He tells us very clearly, through prayer. Through prayer. 
Are you anxious, beloved? Are you anxious about anything? Go to your Father in prayer. Go to your Father in prayer. With what kind of spirit? What does the Bible say? What does the text say? How do we go to Him? With thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. You know, you know what? How often do you count your blessings? How often do you count your blessings? Every day. You know, from salvation all the way down to, man, this watermelon tastes really good. I have taste buds. What is taste? I mean, I don't know. What is, what is it? How does it work? I don't know. But God knows. You know, sometimes I wake up in my warm bed and I, I'm in a warm, dry, clean, safe bed. I mean, I take a shower sometimes and I'm, I'm thinking, man, how many people in the world would love to stand under this hot water, this hot, clean water and just cleanse themselves and wash themselves. Beloved, we take so much for granted. God says, come to me in prayer, but don't you dare forget to be thankful. You know, God condemned the man in Romans chapter 1 because they are thankless. They did not honor God, nor did they give thanks. God says, come to me in prayer. Come to me in prayer. How close is God to us in prayer? The psalmist says, even before the word is on my tongue, the Lord knows it. How close is God to us in prayer? Romans chapter 8. The text says we don't even know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us. God says if you're going to live like the Apostle Paul, if you're going to uh, live that faith that's not so easy, if you're going to live Philippians 1.21, you're going to have to come pray to me. Because you can't do it by yourself, right? Or you can be religious by yourself, but you can't be a real Christian without prayer. Without prayer. Full of thanksgiving. God says, bring everything to me. Everything. He insists. And I love it. Uh, this Isaiah 65-24 passage. It, God is impatient for His people to pray. He says, it will come to pass that before you call. What? Before you call. There's this, this connotation of impatience in God. And we go to Matthew chapter 7. There's this insistence in God. Jesus says, ask, seek, knock. That's a command. Jesus says, ask, seek, and knock. It's not only His will that we pray, Proverbs 15.8. It's His delight that we pray. You know that, right? When you come to the Lord in prayer... Proverbs 15.8, the prayer of the upright is my delight, says God. Six times in the New Testament, God commands His people to devote themselves to prayer. Six times. Devote yourselves to prayer. Colossians 4.12 actually echoes our text tonight. It says, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. It's the same thought as is expressed tonight in our text. Luke 18.1, Jesus says, pray at all times and do not lose heart. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, God says, pray without ceasing. Does that mean we lay on our face 24-7? Of course it's not what it means. But I like the way John Piper talks about it. Oh Lord is our default mental state. Whether blessing is coming or trial is coming, oh Lord, be with me in this. Right? It's our default mental state. Prayer is our default mental state. Beloved, I learned this a long time ago. You know, when anxiety comes on you, and it comes on every man, 
and every woman in the flesh, it will come on you. It's just part of our fallen nature. Immediately give it to God. God, take this away from me. I don't want to be anxious about this. My flesh is wanting to be anxious about this. You take it from me, Lord. You're my sovereign El Shaddai. You're my Jehovah Jireh. You're my I will see to it God. Why am I anxious about this thing? If I can't cite a specific promise in the Bible, I know that you're for me. And I know if it's a hard day, Romans 8.28 is true. Lord, take this anxiety from me. Take it from me. Beloved, He'll take it from you. You start to meditate on I am, He'll take it from you. You can't stay anxious if you're thinking about how beautiful and awesome your God is. I promise you can't. You can't hold, you can't hold both of those uh, thoughts simultaneously in your head. You can't do it. It's impossible. You cannot do it. If you'll turn your heart and your mind to meditate on the greatness of our God, a conscious leaning moment by moment on the Lord. God commands us to bring everything to Him. Everything to Him in prayer. As I said, we can be religious without Him, but we can't be a real Christian without Him. We need to bring everything to Him in prayer. And Paul says, do it with thanksgiving. Do it with thanksgiving. That's why I read Psalm 100 to, to open the service. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks and bless His name. For the Lord is what? The Lord is good. Shame on us if we don't confess it and we don't live like the Lord is good. Beloved, He's good. He's good. His loving kindness is everlasting. Why are you wringing your hands? His faithfulness to all generations. You know, <laughs> if, you don't really, if you don't really believe He's awesome and He's good, you, really, you, just, you can't live biblical Christianity. You just can't do it. It's impossible. You can't, you can't walk with Christ unless you really believe these things are true about Him. You'll never, you'll never uh, exercise risky faith and step out in risky obedience. You'll never do it. You'll never do it unless you really believe your God is God and He's sovereign. He's sovereign in the falling of a sparrow. He's sovereign in the roll of a die. You get that in your head, you're free. You're free to live radical lives. You're free to live a radical life for the few minutes you have left on the few moments you have left as compared to eternity. So the real Christian has, a, has a, a deep and unshakable, unassailable, immovable kind of faith. As Twyla Paris sings, I will trust Him even when I must cry. How many of you have had this experience? You're, you've cried your last tear. You can't cry anymore and you're trusting God. You've, you've fallen on God. I've had this experience. Guess what I found out? He's there. In that, in that moment, He's there. <coughs> And He satisfied my heart. He satisfied my heart in that moment. It didn't mean I, it didn't, mean I didn't cry more for a, for a while longer. But the Lord was with me. And the Lord was working good. I can see it clearly now. Fifteen years after the fact, the Lord 
was working good. Hey, if we read our Bibles, we understand that sometimes life can be excruciatingly hard. And we understand that in God's perfect, compassionate, omniscient wisdom, He says what to our prayers? No. Right? Sometimes God says no. I know that that runs counter to the name it and claim it bunch, but we're not name it and claim it bunch in here. We're a biblical church. So we don't run around naming it and claiming it. Our God's God. We're not little gods. We're not little sovereigns. Um, so we don't name it and claim it. Sometimes the Lord says no. And if you stop and think about it, if God thinks it's best to say no, what do you want Him to do? I want Him to say no. Guess what? He sees what's in the dark. Guess what? He can see what's around the corner. Guess what? He knows what's going to happen today and a billion eternities forward. If God wants to say no to my prayer, I praise God. I'm praying the wrong thing. Beloved, this is, this is mature prayer. It's not naming and claiming. It's not that junk that gets taught on television and other places in these sorry books that get sold. Um, Paul tells us, Paul shows us what to do when God says no. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul entreated the Lord three times to remove the thorn, of the thorn in the flesh, and God said what? No. Remember what Paul said? Most gladly, therefore, I receive this no. Paul says, therefore, I am well contented with my God's no. He's God. I'm not. He knows best. God says, come to me with thankfulness. Beloved, you, get, you know this, right? We were hell-bound enemies of God, right? The Bible, if we believe our Bibles, it says that we were hell-bound enemies of God. Now we're what? In Christ Jesus. Now we're what? We're heaven-bound co-heirs. If you can't be thankful, you're not understanding any of it. If you can't be thankful, you're not getting any of it. You cannot, if you cannot be thankful, you're not getting any of it. Verse 7, And the peace of God which surpasses uh, all comprehension shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Did you notice? The peace of God gives... The peace that God gives is the peace of God. It's not normal. It's not human. You can't get it from a therapist. You can't get it from a counselor. You can't get it in religion. You can't get it in a drug. Real peace only comes from God. And God says, I will give it to you. He says, I will give it to my people. A peace that surpasses all comprehension and it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We'll be inside that uh, uh, Psalm 71 vast granite fortress, the rock of habitation. We will, we will reside there. Beloved, if your heart and your mind are in turmoil, God says, come to me tonight. And pray to me with thanksgiving and I'll give you my peace. If you're struggling with difficulties and turmoil and discouragements and distress and these kinds of things and doubt, you don't have to, you don't have to do that. 
as a Christian. God says, come to me. God tells, tells His children, you come to me. In thanksgiving, I'll give you my peace. Beloved, He's a promise keeper. He is a promise keeper. The other thing I want to say about His, his peace was, <laughs> oh, it's infinite. Oh, it's omnipotent. It's divine peace. Infinite, omnipotent peace that neither devil, demon, nor any circumstance of life can take from you. Verse 8, Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good, of good repute, if there is any, any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. I know I've said this to you a lot lately, but I've gotten into a habit of saying it to myself, so when that happens, I have to say it to you too. You can't go with Christ if you're going to listen to yourself. <laughs> you, you know, you can't get into that sloppy habit of listening to yourself. If you listen to yourself, you'll never go with God. You'll always sit down. You'll always shrink back. You'll always do the safe thing. You'll always conform to the wisdom of the world. You can't listen to yourself. If you're going to go with Jesus, you have to be in the Word and you have to preach to yourself. In a sense, this is what Paul is saying to us in this text. He's, he's just describing all that God is and all that flows to us from God. Basically, verse 8 is Jesus Christ. Think about Him! Think about Him! This is what He's saying to us. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, Take every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. The other thing I want to say to you, beloved, that I'm still learning to train myself to do, and that is when something happens that, that, that distresses me or causes me anxiety, you know, humanly we want to immediately think about the worst case scenario, don't we? Don't our minds immediately go to the worst case scenario? Mine does. I don't know about yours. I'm training my mind not to go to the worst case scenario, but to think, what is God doing here? And what good could God work in this? Beloved, this is how we're supposed to think. You've got to train yourself to think like that. It won't happen naturally. I still fail many times. Oh, we love to go to the worst case scenario. God says, don't think about that. He says, whatever is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and of good repute and excellence and worthy of praise, dwell on these things. In a sense, dwell on My Son. Reside there. Stay there. Inhabit that place. Abide in that place. Make your home in, on, and around that place. God says in Proverbs 23.7, as a man thinks, so he is. Beloved, if you're going to go with Jesus, you've got to get control of your mind. You can't have an undisciplined mind and go with Christ. It, it just won't work. You've got to discipline your mind by the Word of God. So let me ask you, are you filling your mind with the things of God? Or are you filling your mind with the things of the world? Are you filling your mind with the things of God? Or are you filling your mind with the things of the world? You can always tell, can't you? The computer geeks are right, aren't they? <laughs> garbage, in, garbage in, garbage out. Right? Garbage in, garbage out. 
Are you meditating on the things of God? Or are you filling your mind with the things of the world? God says, if you really want to break through and walk with Me, dwell on Me. My Word. My truth. My promises. My blessings. My goodness. Remember how Jesus said it in John 8. If you abide in My Word, then you are truly My disciples. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free to be radical word doers. <laughs> and that's what all of you want to be, I know. You want to be a radical word doer. That's what I want to be when I grow up. A radical word doer. Right? I'm still learning. Man, that's what we need to be. Radical word doers. Some people, you know, they say if you worry a lot, it's because you're real smart. Um, and... And you think too much, but you, it's because you're real smart. I say that's exactly wrong. If you worry too much, it's because you're not very smart. And you think too little about Jehovah God. Particularly if you call yourself a Christian tonight. If you worry too much, it's not because you're so smart. It's because you're not so smart. And you're not thinking about your awesome God. Verse 9, The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in Me, practice these things, and the God of peace shall be with you. Paul says, this is how I do. Philippians 1.21. Right here. Verse 6, 7, 8. That's how I do it. He says, you saw me do it. That's how I want you to do it. You know, the, the Philippians didn't have the, the, the finished Scriptures. They didn't have all of the New Testament at their disposal. Paul says, you don't have all of the Word of God. You watch me. This is how I do it. That's how I want you to do it. It's what the Apostle Paul is saying. And it's not practice these things in a sense of I'm going to practice it to get better. It's practice in the sense that I will make this my life. It's the practice of my life to not be anxious, to cry out to God in prayer with, with hope, with what's the word I'm looking for? I'm looking for a particular word. Don't tell me. I'm, an in, I'm incurably, I'm incurably thankful. Yes, that's the one. I'm incurably, incurably, incurably. Okay, I'm just going to move on. We are incurable in our thanksgiving, right? We are incurable in our thanksgiving. Make it our practice. It's, not, it's our practice in living. I'm going to finish. Paul says, I can live this not-so-easy faith because I never forget that my God is sovereign and that He has drawn near to me. He says, I never forget that my prayer answering God hears me. I never forget to, to be always thankful to my gracious God for His goodness to me. I never forget that the infinite and omnipotent peace of God is available to me. And I never forget to meditate deeply upon the excellencies of my God and His Word. Paul says, I'm Nike. I'm Nike. Because I do Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, 7, and 8. And so, beloved, I invite you tonight to be Nike, to be an overcomer. Not because you're such a great Christian or your faith is so stout, but because your God is so awesome and He has drawn near to you. Not only has He drawn near to you, the Bible tells us He is for you. So, you go be a radical word doer this week. A radical word doer, bringing glory and honor and praise to the name of our beautiful Lord and Savior. Let's pray together.
Oh Lord, I confess that uh, I live it way too small sometimes. Lord, I confess that I give in to anxiety. But oh Lord, here's the recipe. Here's the recipe for fearless and bold faith. You are near and You are for us. Father, forgive us that we often forget this. Forgive us that we don't meditate on this every single day. That You are the great and almighty God. Father, help us to remember that it must be an insult to You. That we should wring our hands and give in to anxiety. When You have told us on our hardest day, You are working all things for the good of those who love You, those called according to Your purpose. Forgive us, Father. We're so weak and frail. We're so forgetful about Your greatness and Your goodness. So Lord, I pray that we could take these very simple concepts and we could use them in our lives. That we wouldn't be anxious, men and women. but we would just be glad, reckless, joy, word-doers in the world. Help us, Father, we pray. Help us, we pray. In Christ's name, Amen.